Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile black patent leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option. Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion. And because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely get. And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 265 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers here with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. So today we're doing something fun. We are revisiting a series that we started way back in the early days of this podcast called Things We Shouldn't Have Freaked Out About. And we actually have four episodes. If you're a longtime listener, you'll recognize these. Um, But we have Things We Shouldn't Have Freaked Out About as a new mom, as a toddler mom, as a breastfeeding mom, and also about when kids are first starting school. But all of these were in 2015, 16, and 17. And we really haven't revisited it for a while. So I'm excited about this, Megan. I cannot believe it's been that long. It's like one of those things we did kind of regularly for a bit and it just feels like we just did it yesterday. So I'm excited to dive in again. Me too. And you know, the whole kind of through line of our show is that, you know, usually things kind of work out okay. And all this worrying and fretting and Googling that we do as moms is, you know, often just energy that we're burning up while we realize we can't control the future, right? Like that's, Mm. so I think probably this concept has worked its way into many other episodes and listener questions, but we haven't really devoted a whole conversation to it in a long time. So today's more of a grab bag, I would say, wouldn't you, of things we shouldn't have freaked out about, things we did freak out about and now realize turned out okay, et cetera. Yeah. And I think that what I like about this is it applies really to wherever you are, whatever age or stage you're in right now, you'll recognize some part of something about what we have to say. Or even if you're not quite there yet, it's a fun way to look forward to what you might deal with in the future. Yeah. So there's something for everyone in this, in this freak out episode. I agree. And if you are inclined to freak out, um, I think you can just know that like having these conversations, at least for me, always helps me to look back and realize like, oh yeah, that thing really did turn out okay. So maybe this current thing will also turn out okay. And that, at least in my experience, that is a self-conversation that doesn't happen once. It happens over and over and over again. Like, oh, right. Remember how like this turned out okay last time? Like it's all going to be okay. So. Right. um, Yeah. 
I was curious, Megan, your kids are 11 to 22. Um, do you still freak out about things? Like, are there still new things that you freak out about as a mom? And what does that look like? So it doesn't look the same as it used to. I think when they were little, there was a combination of literally everything being completely new to me. Um, and there were all these big overarching things that felt so fraught in the moment. So like sleep and feeding and discipline, all those things, like they were all I could think about because I was learning as I was going and they all felt really big. And there really isn't a lot of that now. I've already gone through all of it with at least two of my kids. Right. Um, so nothing is really new to me, but I do sometimes, and this is a total stress thing I realize that I do. Um, I'll fixate on relatively small things that become, I think, kind of a symbol mm -hmm. for the feeling of losing control. And, and I am losing control and influence over my kids slowly, mm -hmm. but surely that's what parenting is as they get older. And I've written and talked about the fact that it can turn into kind of like, I can't remember what, how I referred to it fairly recently, but it becomes this like inconsequential nag spiral. I'm going to put it that way now, but I had some <laughs> other term for it where basically the kids are starting to wiggle out of your grasp, which is developmentally normal. And that's right. what's supposed to happen. And they still kind of need you, but you can't really do anything about most of the big things. So you sort of start to fixate on things like, did my kid remember to um, renew his license plate mm -hmm. tabs or whatever? Like there's, there's just these little things that really, I can't do anything about those things either if right. they're adult kids. And if they're, you know, my teenage kids, I have more control, but that's still a Mac or a micro thing. It's yeah. still just one little detail. Those are the kinds of things that'll get like lodged in my head and take up way too much space. It's almost like, well, first of all, that came from that great NBC news think piece that you had a oh, couple months right. ago. Yes. And it's on our blog. Um, and I'll link to it because it's a really great piece about what it's like parenting adult children. If you, if anybody wants that view ahead. Um, but I was also going to say, it's almost like, um, you know, miss not misplaced, but like nurturing energy that lacks a direction. Like you, yes. <laughs> you, you still need to, and want to mother your kids, but as they are more independent, it, it doesn't find its place to land. So you fix it. Right. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think that's one of those tales is all the time, right? Like everyone has a story about their mother or mother-in-law babying, <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Or like cluck clucking over things. And I'm trying really hard not to become the, the older, um, mom of adult kids who is constantly, I don't know, freaking out and calling yeah. them and reminding them of things. I don't want to be that person, but it, I have to like really work sometimes to yeah. not be that person. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely still freak out about things. I mean, my kids are seven, 10 and 12. Um, there's still new things that I'm experiencing on the you know, with the older two. Um, so there's definitely still firsts. Whereas you said, you've literally gotten through to up to young adulthood with two of your kids. And not that there's not more after that, but um, the functional child rearing, you really yes. have pretty much experienced the whole thing. Um, whereas I have not. And um, so, yeah, I still freak out. Um, I It's usually for me around some kind of like health development, mental health issue that I fixate on or focus on for one of the kids, um, really it ends up being trying to predict or control the future, right? Like that's what most anxious thinking is about. And that's where I come back to conversations like this, where we remind ourselves like, okay, first of all, you can't control the future. So I know that logically. Um, but also that looking back like, oh yeah, I was so fixated on that thing. And now we're five years past it. And 
things turned out okay. Or if they didn't turn out okay, also I was equipped to deal with that. That's the other part right. of it is like, we know not everything's going to be okay all the time. We're not, that's never been kind of the focus of when we say that we know that there are really tough things you're going to face in motherhood and really tough blows your kids are going to be dealt. And, um, but that trying to control or predict them or somehow like sidestep some of those hurdles is pretty futile. Um, and so, yeah. so when we look back and say, Oh, that was, you know, that was hard. Is that what your yoga teacher said? Like that was yeah. hard and we're okay. Like, yeah, <laughs> we got through it anyway. So. We did. And, and I think sometimes it's about reframing what okay even means. Sure. Um, like maybe another way to put it, cause what is okay? Okay. is not everything's rosy and everything turned out wonderfully and, and it met all my biggest expectations and hopes. It's like, you know, everything is going to be what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're going to be equipped to deal with it. That's yeah. a really good way of putting it. Yeah. I love that. Sarah, our sponsor Vionic is back today with their Vionic Vitals collection. These shoes are the most essential styles for everyday wear to get us ready for spring, which will be here before we know it. We've already talked about my Uptown Loafers and Willa Slip-On Flat and your Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, but this collection also includes the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker. That is that unapologetic dad sneaker style that's so popular right now. And I was just thinking having all four styles would basically be like having a spring capsule wardrobe for your feet. Oh my gosh, that is actually such a genius idea, Megan. I love where you're going with this. You know, high quality shoes are such a classy way to elevate your wardrobe. And the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection really can be worn in your everyday mom life, whether you're running errands or dressing up for an occasion. Yeah, and let's talk about the comfort factor, Sarah. Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles. Use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Sarah, our sponsor, Haya, is back on the show today, and I just really love this company. Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise. They're filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk most parents don't really want their growing kids eating. That's why Haya, the pediatrician-approved, super-powered chewable vitamin, was created. That's right, Megan. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern kids' diets to provide the full-body nourishment they need. And Haya vitamins have a yummy taste kids love, too. So we were just talking to Katie on our team, Megan, and she was saying that when they get down toward the bottom of the Haya vitamin bottle, her boys are fighting over who gets the last one. Oh, I love it. And I also love that Katie can feel good about that, right? Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door. So parents never need to worry about running out. And we've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. You're going to get 50% off your first order. To claim this deal, go to HayaHealth.com slash MomHour. This deal is not available on their regular website. Go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash MomHour and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. Okay, so Sarah, before we dive in, I would love to make kind of an overall note um, or some context here that I think one of the reasons we often freak out, we feel like we only have like one shot to get something right. And unfortunately, this is really perpetuated by a lot of um, well-meaning parenting advice mm -hmm. around this idea that we're training babies to sleep and eat and be independent and self-soothe or whatever it is, like all these great things. But then what we internalize is this idea that if there's some magical window where if we 
don't get it right, they'll, they'll never learn it or right. they'll never be able to adopt it. Or we, like, we just have this narrow window, this one shot. And I just want to say most of the time, anything you're trying to get your kids to do or to learn how to do, it's a long process and you have lots of opportunities to get it right and mm-hmm. wrong. Like there's just, it's a long stretch of time that your kids are going to be learning how to sleep, for example, mm-hmm. it, well into their adult years. Like you might have a, someone who needs to learn all over again how to sleep as an adult. So, so these things don't just resolve and go away because we, by the time they're six months old, get it right. Mm-hmm. Nor are, you know, nor is it too late if they yeah. didn't. So I don't know, just, I think that sometimes helps me when I'm starting to feel worried that I missed a chance to do something. Yeah, I really agree with that. And I think you, like you said, it's well-meaning advice that really is about creating, you know, the best possible start for our kids. And of course, who wouldn't sign up to give the best possible start to their child, whether that's sleep or feeding, nutrition, all of this. However, we know that also mom's mental health and the family unit is of such crucial importance to so many things. So if giving your baby the best start in life in every category to the one millionth degree, then also takes away from your enjoyment of motherhood or your mental health. I, I would argue that we were like, we're not ending up ahead. Does that make sense? Right. So if, yes. So, you know, like you, you mentioned sleep, for example, if letting go of all the sleep advice and breaking all the rules um, gets you in a place where you feel better, I would say that you can tackle sleep later, for example. So Mm -hmm. I think that, I don't know, I'm just repeating what you said, but I agree. Agree. And the mom's mental health is a very important part. And the families, the family unit. Um, one thing we've talked about on the show a lot is that the more kids you have, the more you realize that sometimes the good of the unit Mm -hmm. and the good of each individual are in conflict. Yes. And so there has to be some decisions made around that. And so that sometimes means you can't attend to all things perfectly all the right. time. Right. It's, yeah. it's, I think the, the line that we quote from me is I can't care about that right now. Right. Like I can't, it is important, but it, I can't, I don't have it right now to care about right. that. That thing can happen later. Um, so the first thing that both of us have, I think, experienced a little freak out about is um, kids changing friendships, friendships changing, and even things like friendship tension or drama. Um, and you can go first here. I know I have things to say kind of in the preschool and elementary school years, but this is, this is definitely something moms freak out about. It is. And there are many ways to freak out about this. I think in the preschool, the preschool years, it's common to try to control everything about the environment. And then as you lose control in the elementary school years, it's almost like then you freak out that you, that you can't, Mm -hmm. and you may still try to, um, I have an interesting I guess I have kind of an interesting dynamic in that with my little kids, this was not something that I was super worried about when they were really small. Um, Jacob and Clara have a lot of, a lot of commonalities I've talked about Mm -hmm. before on the show. There's, they're both sensitive. They both have um, more anxiety than the rest of the kids. And so with Jacob, he was always a sunny, cheerful little kid who made friends really easily. And then he got to about third grade and started having friendship drama. And I remember being like, oh, I always heard this didn't happen with boys, which is a super silly thing to think, or it it totally happens with boys. Um, And then lo and behold, the next three boys were pretty, I don't know. They just seemed like they didn't care that much. Like they'd make friends or not, whatever. Or like they had a close group of friends. 
and it just wasn't a big deal. And then Clara comes along and now she's like the bookend kid having mm-hmm. has, who has had more of that kind of drama again. And I think one thing I learned when it was happening with Jacob that I was able to kind of put into play with Clara and Will has also had some friendship drama, but I waited, it didn't happen for him till high school. So mm-hmm. that was weird and uh, unexpected in some ways, but there's, for me, it was sort of like the mean friend situation. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I finally realized is that the more I tried to clamp down on it and, um, outwardly discourage the friendship or outwardly protect my kid from it, like kind of like did damage because mm-hmm. then your child is always going to be defensive about their friend. And I, what I kind of learned going through this with, you know, Jacob and then to a much less degree with the other boys and then finally landing on Clara is there are lots of ways to kind of vaguely discourage a friendship you aren't thrilled about without actually having to come right out Mm -hmm. um, and say something. And the part that now I realize after having done that is I would pose questions to Clara when she was two or two second grade. I remember her bringing home notes and having me read them. And the look on her face was like, she knew like a note that a friend had passed her. Right. Okay. She knew that there was something not right about it. That's why she was showing it to me or Mm -hmm. she wouldn't have bothered. But like, she also didn't want me to criticize her friends. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I would read it and think this is such mean girl stuff. Oh my goodness. I can't believe this drama is happening in second grade. But what I would say to her is, well, how does, how do you think it makes the kids feel that you're talking about in this note? And she would be defensive, but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't criticize her or the other girl. Um, And I'd say, well, how would you feel if you found a note that was written like this about you? Like, how would that feel? So, so funny now, Clara is just finished fifth grade. And she, about a month ago said, Hey mom, remember that time or remember that year you kept making me read notes to you, which is funny. I didn't make her read them to me. She (laughs) willingly read them to me, but she's like, you just would always ask me questions. Like, how would that feel? And blah, blah, blah. And it would be so irritating. And then she's like, well, I don't hang out with that girl anymore. And I was like, right. I mean, she just she knew that it was happening, but she also, her, her loyalties were split and there was nothing I could do about that. I couldn't, you know, I remember what it was like to have friends. I knew my mom didn't like, and what I wanted to do was be friends with that girl. Like I wanted to defend the person my mom had a problem with. So I just kind of did it differently this time. And I guess the end story is she moved on. Yeah. Whether I did it right or whether it would have been fine for me to take a more direct route Either way, she moved on and she's learned about how to be a better friend, how to make better friends, to treat her better. And now with her going into sixth grade, I feel pretty good about where she is, which isn't to say we won't have more issues. We, right. You know, middle school, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like with, uh, you know, with her being so sensitive. Yeah. But, um, but again, I think that like, I don't know, this is a really long winded way of saying it worked itself out. Well, I think, I think what you actually did actively was by not totally sharing your opinion or stepping in, you were sending the message that she is capable of making good friendship decisions. And that's really hard. Like that's really hard to do if your kid is getting their feelings hurt or, or if, or if you think your kid is maybe perpetrating some hurt feelings. Yes. Um, and, and of course, like the blanket statement here is when we're talking about, um, a real deep level of of anxiety, pain, bullying at a deeper level, there is of course a place for adult intervention. And I hope you all know that I believe that. However, in a lot of cases by you kind of just asking those questions, you sent the message to her that she's capable. She knows 
She knows right. when something it doesn't feel good and she it's within her power, which is so important, right? Because if yeah. you'd asserted more, um, she thought, well, this is good because mom's going to help me sort this out. But next time it comes up, she's she doesn't know that she has that capability. Right. So that right. I think is awesome. Right. Like I could have made a phone call to the teacher or the other girl's mom or something and, and shut the whole thing down, I guess. But I, yeah, I think you're right. And, and I think that there's lots of different, um, ways just to make this side note about the mean girl culture yeah. that it perpetuates a lot of different ways. And when I was a kid, my role was always the sort of regretfully complicit mean girl. Okay. Like I was never the, <laughs> like I was, I wasn't the mean girl, but I was friends. I always befriended by really bullies, like mm-hmm. really mean girls. And I would become like fearful to not be complicit. And so I recognize that. Yeah. In, and so it helps, like it helps that she is following so close to like the way I was and yeah. I see, but it also sometimes makes me a little too close to it. And it yeah. makes me want to jump in and defend her when actually she's complicit, yeah. you know? So yeah. it's like, it's a hard line to, to walk sometimes yeah. when you're a little too much, like the way your kid is. Yeah. Um, I will hey. recommend the book No More Mean Girls by Katie Hurley. Um, I read it like a year or two ago. It's really, really good. I think you could read it. I don't generally like books that specifically are about girls or boys because I have both and some of mine don't follow stereotypes anyway. But this one I um, is geared toward parents of girls. And I think you can read it from preschool age on up. It's really, it sounds like it's No More Mean Girls, like it's coming at it from the negative. It's really more about healthy social development and friendship development for girls. And Katie Hurley is like, she's a really accomplished parenting writer. And um, so I will link that one up. I was just going to add on changing friendships that this is really, um, especially in the preschool and elementary school years, really developmentally normal for kids to change friendships kind of a lot. And I think it's a Mm. common thing for parents to freak out about um, because you think, oh my gosh, like, they were in such a good group and now the group is changing or like now my kid wants to be best friends with this other kid that they never used to play with. And we jump to the conclusion that something's terribly wrong. Um, but just from the reading and the experts I've talked to, not only is it normal, it's really actually an essential part of their kind of identity development. So by changing out friendships, they are kind of changing, you know, like trying on different identities for themselves. Um, what, You might notice your kid wants to like dress or talk or look like whoever their latest BFF is. And that is their kind of trying on these different identities. And not only that, but then practicing the skills of friendship, right? If you having one best friend from kindergarten on up sounds great. And for maybe for some kids, that is really great. But you don't get to practice as many different problem solving and various skills if you're, you know, tight with only one person the whole time by moving around groups and different pairings and all of that, um, they're actually able to practice those skills, including the not so fun skills, right? Like the fighting and the making up and the, the ending of a friendship. Um, you know, I've had experience with my kids not ending a friendship in a, like a horrible dramatic way, but just like a growing apart way. And I think as adults, we really have to be careful not to project our feelings about friendship down onto them because adult relationships are really pretty different and deeper and more sophisticated than what our kids are experiencing. So while it might feel like just gut-wrenching to lose a friend or to grow apart from a friend or to be betrayed by a friend for us, I don't think it's necessarily exactly the same at the first or second grade level. Um, They might have, you know, their feelings hurt. They might have a bad day or a bad week, but they are meant to 
rebound from that, find somebody new, try out a new group, um, and on and on. So, um, well, one thing I, that I think that that really speaks to is the, also the idea that like, not all kids are going to experience friendship the same. Mm. I think it's easy to forget that not all kids are going to have like, you know, this thriving big social circle (laughs) and that some kids are totally fine with that. I remember, um, Isaac coming home from preschool and I said, Hey, you know, who do you hang out with? Who are your friends? He's like, and just nonchalant. Oh, I don't have any friends. And I was like, so, you know, my, my mommy brain, it's like, what, what do you mean? You don't have any friends. And then I went in the classroom and there were kids constantly talking to him constantly, but he didn't see those kids as friends. Like to him, those were people that occupied space at school with him. Right. And then he came home and forgot they existed. And right. that was another way to be normal. Like that was, you know, for a four-year-old with a br- with now by that point, two brothers, like that wasn't his focus. Yeah. And his, his social yeah. needs were being filled and it wasn't. Right. Yeah. Um, it would have been very easy for me to just hear him say, I don't have friends and to go down a spiral of worry mm-hmm. um, when he's always been the kind of person who has two or three good friends and would really rather hang out with his family. So that can also be normal, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. there's so many different ways friendship can look for adults and for kids um, that can all be fine. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, well, another thing that I see parents freaking out about in general, and I understand why, um, but is picky eating, feeding and nutrition, especially in you know, I'm going to say zero to five, zero to three, the the first few years. Um, and Megan, as we were prepping this episode, we kind of laughed because, you know, you and I are usually kind of opposite and, you know, we think about different things. We think about things differently. So usually if one of us is one way, the other can offer the opposite viewpoint. And in, in this case, I think we both somehow escaped the real freak out about diet, food, nutrition, and feeding for the most part. And I don't know why that is, but I think it's still worth talking about today because I think we're the exception. Yeah, I agree, Sarah. I don't think this is something either you or I have ever freaked out about. And the irony there is I think both of our families eat pretty healthy. Mm -hmm. So it almost feels like sometimes there can be this unintended consequence to freaking out about certain things where they become such a thing, like such a big thing that then you almost like like the freaking out almost is counterproductive. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, people rebel against it or you end up rebelling against your own freak out. Like I think that that can happen. And I think the fact that you and I are both very aware of nutrition, but like pretty relaxed about how it plays out in our own family has actually been good. Um, so I will make one small caveat. And, and I think this is also a nice way to frame sometimes what can look like freaking out, but isn't. Yeah. And Nutrition, um, specifically breastfeeding and like baby nutrition Mm -hmm. were both things that I got really into and, but I never worried about, I just think I really enjoyed learning about things like that. Um, when my kids were really little Mm -hmm. and I like food, I'm a food oriented person. I was fascinated by the physiology of breastfeeding and Mm -hmm. how breast milk changes. And like, I just, I I remember finding that fascinating and reading so much about it and reading a lot about, you know, how, um, trends in infant nutrition changed, like all the different kind of theories around delaying solids and allergens and all that stuff. And the, the funny part is I never was really worried about it. I just really liked reading about it. So sometimes I think, you know, we all have our thing. And if, if your thing 
means you want to delve really deeply into something and, and just be really like academically scholarly yeah. about it. That doesn't have to translate to freaking out. Like you can still find ways to know a lot and use your knowledge and not let it kind of mess with your mental health around yes. it. Um, and also to give other people a pass and some room to not be as into the thing as you're into. And, you know, we've talked about this before that I do. I think that there is a direct relationship between how much anxiety you have about something yourself and how apt you can be to judge other people mm, about it. Mm -hmm. It's that whole, we feel we judge people when we feel guilty and we feel guilty when we feel insecure and mm -hmm. like there, that's just a spiral. Right. And so I think it's totally okay to reframe if there's something you're just super into whatever that thing is, maybe it's sleep or discipline for that just to be your thing mm -hmm. and you just love it and you want to learn all that you can about it, but you don't have to take it the extra step to freaking out. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be fear-based of I'm, I'm getting super into this so that I prevent X, Y, Z in the future. Right. right? Um, yeah. It can be purely like you said, almost an enjoyable deep dive into an area of child rearing that you find genuinely interesting. I never thought about it that way until we were about to record this episode. We were talking and I realized that um, toddler discipline and young, you know, kind of positive discipline fundamentals was exactly the same for me. I wasn't I wasn't worried about tantrums. I wasn't worried about um, messing up my kids with my discipline style. I, it never came from a place of freaking out. It truly came from a place of interest. And I'm going to learn as much as I can about this. And then I was kind of done. I, you know, right. I, I kind of absorb, read, read a bunch and listened to a bunch. And um, I still love, you know, if someone comes to me for advice about toddler, preschool behavior, discipline, different kind of behavioral stuff, I still love that in the same way that you probably could still get fired up talking about breastfeeding. Um, but right. it, that also yeah. did not come from a place of freaking out for me. So I really love that reframe. And I really love kind of the invitation you gave that if you're feeling freaked out about something to see if it's possible to reframe it as a learning opportunity. And like, what would happen if I just learned more about this um, kids and friendships that we just talked about? What would happen right. if I picked up this book and read it? Not so that I can prevent the friendship apocalypse um, that, you know, I'm <laughs> sure is going to happen in third grade, but just so that I'm a little bit more educated. Um, and I love, I love that. So I guess the feeding and nutrition is number one, we're validating that if you're if you are, you know, just obsessed with trying to get your kids to eat more vegetables or worried or concerned about their nutrition, just validating that that's a really, really common one. Number one. Number two, for some reason, we both got a free pass on that one and neither of us <laughs> fixated on it. But certainly we know what it's like to fixate on other things. So we yeah. we empathize with you. And three, if there's something you're feeling like that about, I love that just to to reframe as an opportunity to learn with um, like a detached learning kind of rather yeah. than att so attached to the outcome. There's a saying I heard not too long ago, and I hopefully I don't mess this up. I believe it was, if you can name it, you can tame it. Yeah. And it was about anxieties. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if we have this broad based thing, like I'm freaking out about food or I'm or feeding my baby or I'm freaking out about sleep or I'm freaking out about whatever discipline. We don't always know exactly what it is we're freaking out about. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes more information, not less, can be helpful because if we know that actually what we're worried about is if my baby doesn't get five different servings of fruits and vegetables per day that, you know, completely um, represent the rainbow that they're going to have, 
you know, their spine isn't going to grow right. Like that's like mm-hmm. a specific thing. Like the more specific you can get yeah. sometimes on those things, the more you can then find the piece of knowledge that can help you deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I uh, know yeah. I totally agree. We are welcoming back Olive and June as a sponsor. And Megan, I'm so excited about this partnership because with spring right around the corner, I love refreshing the little things in my life, including my manicure. I am the biggest fan of doing my nails at home instead of at a salon because it's convenient, so much cheaper at just $2 a mani, and the results can't be beat. It all begins with Olive and June. Yeah, Olive and June's mani system has everything you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. These are profesh tools designed just for DIY. A couple of the items included are their best-selling poppy, which makes it so easy to brush on a smooth coat, even with your non-dominant hand, which you do have to use about half the time, it turns out, (laughs) and their award-winning cuticle serum, which is so nourishing and a finishing touch I love. Well, I've been a big fan of their quick dry polish for a while now. It seriously dries in about a minute, making it perfect for busy moms. Visit oliveandjune.com slash the mom hour for 20% off your first mani system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first mini system. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. All right, we're going to dive into a couple more things we shouldn't have freaked out about. But this is actually one that I kind of do still freak out about sometimes. And I'm very curious to hear your take on this, Megan, because I'm guessing it's one that didn't you didn't fixate on it as much. And I'll explain it this way. I often put a lot of mental energy into worrying about my kids being exposed to information they're not ready for or being scared by something when I'm not there to um, to prime them or to be there to explain it. Like I, it's hard to explain, but it's almost like if I'm not there to prep them for watching a scary movie or hearing about something that happened on the news or even just to be the one to explain a tricky concept that you know, they haven't encountered yet as they grow up. It's like, I feel like I'm not parenting. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. I, it's like a, a need to be there to explain all the hard things in life. And it, it often when they were little manifested, usually in a simple way, like seeing a show or a movie um, now with tweens, you know, seeing more mature content that's got jokes about all kinds of things and like, oh, okay, now do I have to explain that? Do we just let that one go? And it's, it really hasn't gone away. Um, but I just realized it's about this perceived ability to control what goes into their little brains and probably a fear of like, if they, if they're exposed to something too soon or if something really scares them, then what happens then blah, blah, blah. That's where we get into like, maybe I need to name it better to tame it. But I, I, I'm guessing maybe you didn't have that experience or maybe you, you do in a different way. Um, not anything like what you just described. Um, but but I think that there was definitely, this was a worry for me when my kids were little. I think for me, um, it has changed. I think when they were small, I really didn't want them exposed to stuff that I felt would be like character, Mm -hmm. like problematic to character development. Um, 
you know, we've talked about backsassing and, uh-huh. you know, all of those like violence. I didn't want them to see people being mean to each other, like yeah. things like that really were big on my mind when they were little. But then I was never really worried about them, you know, hearing like swear words and stuff like yeah. that. There was just always things that I did think about and didn't. And by the time the small kids came around, like the younger kids came around, I relaxed a ton because it becomes so much harder to control. And I also saw that the big boys often were doing that work that you're describing. Like if they were all watching a show together that was a little above the younger kids' heads, I could see how the big kids were contextualizing it for them and how they did a really good job at it Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times. So Clara now watches um, some different anime shows with the older boys and they're not, they're a little, they're a little heavy for Mm -hmm. her, but like I'll watch them pause it and explain something to her. And I'm talking like Jake and Isaac, like the adult kids. um, And they all talk about it together and it's like become part of their sibling culture. So, and they did that when they all watched the office together, which definitely had some stuff. They all, besides Clara, watched the Arrested Development together, which has got way like some risque stuff in it. But I can see how it's they're not just watching it in a vacuum. And there's a lot of learning going on about a lot of different things. So I'm okay with it. I do have at least one story about every one of my kids that I'm just going to share quickly because it kind of takes you through the trajectory. Yeah. So when Jacob and Isaac were really little, like they really had um, for a long time, just like 10 VHS tapes. Yeah. And it was like. You know, and then with PBS, we had like PBS, we had, um, I think we had like one VHS tape of SpongeBob and that's about as racy as it got. And then we had like Mary Poppins and, um, I don't know, Blues Clues, a CD of blue or a DVD of Blues Clues. We had like just stuff like totally safe, um, kid programming, really kid appropriate stuff. And they had a babysitter that allowed them to watch Blade. Oh gosh is awful. Like, I don't even remember much about that movie, except I think it's about like a vampire that drives a motorcycle maybe. And it's like super duper violent. And they came home, they were two and four, three and five maybe, and told me about it. And I uh, freaked out on the babysitter and in general. And I remember thinking like, I remember having this feeling like waiting for the blade effects to take, you know, like to really like kind of take place. Like when is the blade going to take them over? When are they going to become violent? When are they going to start like, you know, throwing toads off the top of balconies and things? And that never happened. Although they do sometimes still say, hey, remember when that babysitter let us watch Blade? That was really messed up. And the fact that it stands out that much in their minds, I actually kind of feel good about because it was such an anomaly. Like, I remember them coming home with their eyes wide, like, yeah, mom, she let us watch a movie called Blade. And I was like, what? And they probably remember your reaction too, as much as they remember any of the movie. You're right. Like, I don't know that either one of us, them could name anything about it now, but I definitely reacted. Um, okay. So then William, by the time William was in his middle years, like uh, middle elementary, so seven, eight, nine, I had started to relax a lot, but he had a little friend who was the oldest in his family. So like at eight years old, he was the oldest. And so his mom was just in a different, um, stage for me. And I remember her calling me and saying, I have something to share with you to tell you. I'm really embarrassed about this. I feel really bad. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? And she said she had come into the basement where the boys were playing on the computer and she had found out that William and his friend had Googled sexy ladies, which I thought was so funny (laughs) because only an eight-year-old is trying to get to like illicit content by Googling sexy ladies. 
probably doesn't, <laughs> I mean, has no idea the illicit content that they're actually trying to get. They've right. just heard that something exactly. you're not He's just like, to. I mean, I heard this. I think there's this thing called like, you know, sexy and there's ladies and I guess they're sexy. And so I, the mom was freaking out and I thought it was so funny. And I don't, I think they got like a, I don't know, a bra ad or something. Cause she had some kind of blocker on the, so it's not even like, it didn't even turn anything up. Right. But I thought the fact that they Googled that was about the most adorable thing. And she was mortified. So it just kind of shows you like how, where you are in the parenting right. um, realm or on in this, you know, what phase you're in or how far along you are as a mom can change that. Then I had to really kind of restock when Owen was between six and 10, six, maybe even older, six and 11, because he was so afraid of things. Like he couldn't watch the thriller video when he was like 10 years old, he mm-hmm. would have nightmares. Like there were things that wouldn't have set any of the other kids off. Um, it all set Owen off and mm-hmm. he had to, he had trouble sleeping. And so I felt like there were times when I had to tell Owen, you know, everybody wants to watch this show, but this show is not going to work for you. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can't watch it. And I felt bad doing that because I had never like, you know, restricted one of my kids who's close in age to another from watching the same darn thing. The other one's watching, but I just knew he couldn't handle it. And I think over time he resisted a little bit at first, but over time he realized I was right. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of grateful for me to just kind of figure out ways for the older boys to watch stuff where he was already in bed or Mm -hmm. I was doing something different with him. And then we've got Clara and you know, like I've shared, Clara's an anxious little kid. She's got fears. I am always surprised by what scares her and what doesn't or what creates anxiety and what mm-hmm. doesn't. Um, it's not scary scenes. She's not afraid. Like she, I was worried that she was going to be really worried, say about the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. No, nope, not worried about it. On the other hand, if she watches a show where someone does something embarrassing or yeah. where they lie, I remember you like saying if, this. Yes. If they lie and are trying to get away with a lie, she almost, she gets like a stomach ache and can't handle it. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, so all those like family sitcoms where people get themselves like cringing the cringe factor. Yeah. Yeah. They get themselves in a pickle because they do something dumb and then they don't, she'll be sitting there talking to the TV going, why don't they just, why don't they just tell the truth? Like they're just making it worse. Why are they making it worse? And I can see her getting herself all whipped up. So sometimes I'm like, is this, is this a way for her to learn Mm -hmm. or is this like creating unnecessary stress? And I don't know the answer, Yeah, but I just like sharing all those because I feel like she was also like that when she was very small. Mm -hmm. So the things that would have an effect on her were not always the same things you would expect. Yeah. And just like with the other kids. Well, what I, what I'm taking away from this as you talk is I think I've always approached this, like you can't, I can't let the toothpaste out of the tube. I can't let the little monster pop out like the Jack in the box pop up because fill in the blank, bad thing will happen. And that's, you know, I'm not really sure what I thought when in fact, like often expecting that these things are going to happen. And just like your friend putting reasonable safety parameters in place on your internet, on your Netflix, you know, but then understanding that they will encounter, it's impossible to control that they won't encounter news stories or media or adult humor, or, you know, that, that they are meant to encounter those things and that maybe they're opportunities for discussion. That's kind of what I took away from all your stories. So I like that. Um, and it's, it's so simple when they're tiny, I guess is the other thing I want to say. It's so simple because you literally can be practically screen-free like I was, and you can be, have five VHS tapes like you did. And it's very simple. And the older they get, um, the harder, I mean, 
I'll, I'll use veiled language here, but even things like holiday magic, you know, they go off to first, second, third grade and different people's holiday traditions and magical things that yeah. happen around Christmas time. You can't control that narrative either. Like it's not just about scary movies. It's about they are entering the world that you can't, um, you can't, there's no like parental controls on that. <laughs> right. So, and, and they do need to learn to navigate that. Right. They need to learn to navigate disappointment and fear and anxiety yeah. and all those, all those things. I kind of yeah. totally forgot about the whole Christmas thing. Cause that's another thing I, I put a lot of energy thinking into is how to talk about the magic, how to explain it, what to say if they ask questions, whether there should be, you know, a, a small elf involved or not like the, right. and it's all it's it actually comes back to this same thing of like trying to control the narrative um which gets harder and harder so i i loved your your stories there okay um well another big one is just developmental milestones in general and moms love to freak out about kids meeting or exceeding or being behind developmentally and i guess what i'll say on this one and just share maybe the way that i tend to freak out about this kind of stuff um is of course we know there's really good reasons for keeping track of milestones. And I think when we, maybe in our, in our pandemic episode, when we talked about the purpose of public health guidelines, like the really important role that they serve in kind of standardizing mm -hmm. expectations um, can get problematic when, when you get down to the personal level. Yes. Um, and I think there's a lot of overlap here. So we know it's good to track milestones. We know it's good for in general, kids to keep pace with their expected development. And we know that early intervention in a lot of cases is good. So we know all of that. I think where I struggled and still struggle sometimes is um, it's like I try to be more of a scientist or a data person than I really am. And I hear things like I'll just use like an extreme example, like if my baby doesn't learn to feed themselves with their own hands, that could be a sign of future sensory processing issues and kids with sensory issues are often prone to tantrums and outbursts. And now if my baby doesn't eat this Cheerio today, <laughs> he's going to get kicked out of kindergarten and spend the rest of his life in therapy. Like that's where I have a hard time um, taking the recommendations and the whatever data point I've seen and not extrapolating. And so what has helped me and really truly helped me, like this is really a practice that I try to stay on top of with myself is I have to focus on the child in front of me their actual challenge or milestone and are they actually delayed or am I anticipating some kind of delay? If they actually are, if they actually have a skill that they need to work on, then guess what? We can work on that skill for this child right now. Nothing else really is relevant. I have to be that kind of um, sort of boundaried about it with myself because we are not, I mean, even those of us who are educated and like to read up on stuff, we are not physicians, we're not data scientists. Um, and it's really easy to Google stuff or to know just enough to be dangerous, but we don't understand like causation and correlation and yeah. really what these, um, what these studies are saying, like we really don't. And I think of myself as a yeah. smart, educated person, but I know that I don't really know that. So I have well, it's to not focus. your job. Yeah. It's not your, yeah. And, and what I thought was interesting about that is like, what really, what those to me say is that if you went backward, if you said, okay, this child has been diagnosed with a sensory issue, um, they may then work backward and say, one of the things kids mm -hmm. with sensory issues had in common that we can use to yes. help diagnose it is that they didn't like to feed themselves. Yeah. What's one of many, yeah. right? 
one of many things. But the fact that your baby doesn't like to feed themselves isn't necessarily going to kill. It's like when, yes. you know, A is always, you know, B or B is not always A. Yes. I can't, you know what I'm like, talking about. Uh, like though, all right? rectangles. No, all squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles but not are all squares. Rectangles yeah. are squares. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, yeah, it's one causal thing or core. Causing and I'm not even going to get into causing and correlating because I don't have time right now. But like (laughs) one thing that is part of the milieu that makes a child with this diagnosis is just one thing. And it's not it's not a diagnosis. Correct. Yep. Yeah. I've had to work on that. And it it really does (sighs) help. So if it helps anyone else, I focus on the child in front of me and the particular issue they are having or not having. End of story. If I need to seek an expert counsel on that, then that is what I look into for that child and that issue. And that's it. Yeah. Um, okay. So developmental, it's funny. I didn't really freak out about developmental milestones and, um, when they were really little and partly that's just because all my kids did things pretty typically, like they all walked reasonably early. Um, they all talked fine, like reasonably early. And I just, I did a lot of looking around at, at friends and going, yeah, they seem to be kind of on track. I guess we're good. I, I definitely paid more attention when it was Jacob when he, cause he was my first and I had time to read and stuff, but, but, um, but I don't, I don't remember freaking out about it. I did some of that hindsight embarrassment related freaking out when I realized later that I had missed something. Mm-hmm. And I, that I remember particularly with Jacob's speech, it was, um, you know, adorable when he was little, but it just didn't, it just didn't fix up as quickly as it probably yeah. should have when he got into school. And when I finally kind of realized how rough it was compared to the other second graders in his classroom and he got, and I think his teacher had to tell me, you know, like he really could use some special classroom help. And then I was like, oh, huh. And then I listened to him talk around other kids his age. And I think this is very common. Um, His vocal patterns, he was my kid. I was around him talking all day long and Mm -hmm. had been, he was my first. And so his vocal patterns were literally the basis of our family's language development. Like his mispronunciations are part of our canon. We still talk, we still talk like baby Jakey in our family. And I love that, but it made me miss some things now. I have, but then I kind of went into shame spiral over it. And the funny thing is now I think he had like a year of like really minor in-class help where he got pulled out. Like, I don't know, for 15 minutes a day and he came out of it fine. So it was like, I freaked out for not freaking out and maybe neither of the freakouts would ever have needed to happen. Correct. It was like, yes, once I knew it was time to act, I acted and it, it ended up fine in the end. That is so important because I think that therein is one of the opposites of us. And I'm always trying to solve for, I'm always trying to somehow prevent that experience of wishing I'd done something sooner. So I'm like, right. I'm like scrambling like the duck feet underwater trying to solve for this hypothetical future so that I don't look back and wish I would have noticed something. I don't know if that's an Enneagram one thing. Like I, like I don't want to miss something and wish I, yeah. but for you, like you, you had all those years of not worrying at all about his speech, which is actually like a wonderful gift. And then by the time you realized it, you had a little freak out and then moved on. So it's like, right. yes, neither freak out. It was truly necessary. Um, but what are you going to do? <laughs> the early freak out and the later freak out could both have been avoided, but it's hard sometimes. Right. Like it, it's when you feel like you've screwed up, it's really hard yeah. not to. Yeah. Yeah. Really not hard. Hard not to feel that, yeah. but it did turn out fine. Agreed. 
Okay, well, it's almost time to wrap up. But as we were planning this, um, a big thing that has come up both for us personally, but also that we hear from a lot of listeners about is moving, moving schools, moving towns, moving out of state. We, we get a lot of very kind of sweet emails from listeners being like, I don't know if I should. Actually, I just mm. answered one last week. Um, so it's, a, it's one of those things I think is understandable to freak out about if you are faced with a move for your family. And then there's all these other things we've talked about, like changing friendships and, you know, all these like other mini freakouts that fall under moving. So um, we thought it would be fun to do an episode about moving. It's something we've talked about before, but it's been a couple years. So um, yeah. next week we will kind of tackle that, not just from the angle of things we shouldn't have freaked out about, but also maybe some some tips and strategies we've learned in our various moves. And who knows, you may not have a move on the horizon, but you may down the line. So I think that'll be fun for next week. Yeah, agreed. I'm looking forward to that one. Lots to say. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Hey, I want to call out um, the people who have sent such nice emails and commented related to the episode I did a week and a half ago with my niece, Cecily, and my nephew, Mario, where we talked about Black Lives Matter and racism as a family. Um, it was a great conversation and we really didn't know what to expect when we published something like that. It's not like our usual content and the responses have just been wonderful. And I mean, exactly what we would expect. We should always expect from this community because you guys are great. So thank you so much for that. Yes, I agree. You all are exactly what we knew you were, which is amazing and supportive. And um, we just are so proud of this community. And speaking of that, um, a great extension of this listening community is our Facebook group. Um, So I will just throw a link in the show notes and you can also probably just find it in a Facebook search. It's the Mom Hour listener community on Facebook and we would love to see you there. And we will be back in your ears soon with another brand new episode and we'll talk to you then. Hey everyone, Sarah here. Megan and I would absolutely love it if you hit pause right now, right where you're listening, and left the Mom Hour a rating and review. If our show has helped you feel a little more confident as a mom or a little less alone, that's one of the absolute biggest ways you can thank us. And it really takes about 30 seconds. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, just navigate to the Mom Hour's show listing. So not the episode you're listening to right now, but the kind of landing area for our show as a whole. And then scroll down to leave a rating or review. Thank you so much. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general. You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if Mom Hour listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at meganfrancis.substack.com, and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N-Francis.substack.com.